All right. Children may be dismissed for Children's Church. And uh, if you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to open them to Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. The primary idea that's been driving our series of messages is that uh, the church is the household or family of God. The idea coming from 1 Timothy 3.15. There's this close connection between home and family. And so we've been looking at family relationships. So we might learn something uh, about the church from them. Uh, Today we move beyond uh, our rather prolonged detour on the subject of what the Bible has to say about husbands and wives to uh, another family relationship, that of parents and children. Uh, Although we'll be continuing the same passage, we looked at uh, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning verse 21, with respect to wives and husbands. Today we continue with uh, the household code here in Ephesians beginning in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Now, uh, we already read this once, but uh, I'm going to read it again. Uh, We read it as part of our responsive reading. The word of the Lord is, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Pray, Father, that today your word would come alive to us in whatever ways we need to hear it and that you would give your servant ability to communicate uh, truth uh, effectively for your glory and your sake. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul focuses his instructions uh, having to do with parents on children first, so let us do the same. You know, he could have not said anything at all to children. He could have gone straight to the parents and said to them, Parents, make sure you have your children under control. Make sure they're under under your thumb doing what, what you tell them to do. But he doesn't do that. Paul does the honor of addressing children directly, which tells us several things. First, it acknowledges the worth and the value of children who are fully human beings, each one created in the image of God. It also probably conveys to us that Paul was trying to communicate to a certain age or status of child. Obviously, these instructions are not directed at babies who cannot understand them nor are they likely uh, directed at older adult children who are out of the home. So likely here, these instructions are targeted at 
young people, maybe older elementary age children up through teenagers and young adults who are living in the home. We have any such uh, creatures here in our service today? Few, all right. Few here. Well, let me just say to you, God's word has something specific to say to you. God speaks directly to you. He doesn't just tell your parents what to do. He talks to you. Now, the instructions to children are given with two verbs here. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1. The first verb is to obey. The second is, verse 2, honor. Now, it's not rocket science. It's the, the words mean pretty much what they say, right? To obey means to do what they tell you, right? Or not do what they tell you not to do. It's pretty simple. Honor. That means to do the kinds of things that your parents appreciate you doing, that reflect positively upon your parents instead of doing things that bring them dishonor or shame or embarrassment. Right? That's what it says. It's pretty simple. Now, uh, children, uh, Paul doesn't just leave you here with a blanket uh, command, he also provides incentive. He gives four reasons, four good reasons for obeying your parents. And the first one, he says in verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, which means if you, young person, claim to be a Christian, you have received Christ as your Savior and Lord, you may perhaps have been publicly baptized and made a testimony to that. If you are a disciple of Jesus, then being a disciple of Jesus means, part of that means that you will be in obedience to your parents. So part of being a Christian disciple means to obey mother and father. The second reason is uh, that uh, it is right. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is a general appeal to uh, common sense morality. Uh, children, you are here because of your parents. If your parents hadn't brought you into the world, you would not exist. Furthermore, they provided for you, they protected you, they watched over you, they put a roof over your head, they put clothes on your back. And you are dependent upon them. Therefore, there is a sense of rightness. Because of this, because you owe your existence to them, because they provide for you so adequately, then uh, your proper response is to honor them and obey them. The third reason is uh, honor your father and mother. This is a quotation from the Old Testament. Uh, Specifically from Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother is one of the big Ten Commandments, right? It's the fourth command. So because it is a law of God in the Old Testament, we should obey it. And the fourth reason is because this is a command with a promise. And the promise is this, that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, how many of you would like to have a life in which things go well for you? How many would like to have a life in which you live longer and shorter? 
Anybody ever want to live a short life instead of a long life? Well, okay. Well, this is a command with a promise. If you're not interested in those things, then you don't need to try to obey it. But if you are, it might be a good idea. In the home in which I grew up, my mother had placed strategically in the hallway down to the bedrooms a picture of uh, her uncle Talbert, my great uncle. This was an old-fashioned portrait, about so big, uh, chest up of this man, young man. He was uh, like 16 when the portrait was taken. Nicely dressed with a suit on and a tie, and he had his head kind of cocked over uh, with these... uh, wireless glasses on, you know, like they used to wear. This was somewhere 1920, something like that, uh, in that uh, area. Now, uh, on our vacation, we went back to Farmington, New Mexico. We saw the house that uh, my great-granddaddy built there, where Talbert grew up. And um, we went to the cemetery and saw the gravestones of my great-grandmother and great-grandfather, and next to them was the gravestone of Talbert. You know, it's kind of nice to see the, him buried there with my great-grandparents. But uh, as we, as we family, got, family gathered around there and looked, looked closer, there was something different about it. And that was that Talbert passed away in like 1927. My great-grandparents didn't pass away till 40s and 50s, around in there. He died at the age of 17. And the story was that one day he took off with a family car, probably against uh, his parents' wishes, and found with a couple of companions who were not uh, well-liked or well-known. They were bad company. There was some alcohol involved. They don't know if Talbot was drinking, but these other guys definitely were. And so they were in a road and apparently at high speed lost control. The car went off the road, ran into a tree or some other impediment, and Talbert was killed. The other two guys were not. And that was the family story that went with the picture hanging in the hallway to remind us, first of all, watch out for alcohol. Number two, watch the company that you keep. But also respect and honor and obey your mother and your father. Why? Because they have your best interest in mind. Alright? And you're a little if you do the things they say and if you don't do the things they tell you not to do. In his case, he lived a very short life. He didn't regard his parents' instructions or wishes. He didn't honor them. So this is a commandment of the promise. Of course, you can point out exceptions when perhaps a, a compliant child dies young or a rebellious child lives to a ripe old age. But in general, this is God's promise, and I believe that it holds true. Now, it's, it, it's God's intention, young people, children, that God use your parents to help you become the people that God wants you to be. You, when you come into the world, are like a diamond in the rough. This is a picture of a diamond in its natural state, surrounded by, I believe that's coal, but some other kind of rock. And then the diamond, it doesn't look very pretty. It's just kind of a misshapen piece of glass. But God wants to turn you into something that looks like this. All right? Now, in order for that, 
from the first picture to get to the second picture, something, something's going to happen, right? God's got a plan for you and a raw material. He's got to knock off a bunch of that extra material that's there to turn you into that beautiful looking diamond. And it's his purpose to use his, your parents, along with a lot of other good things in life, to help knock off those rough edges and turn you into the people, the person that God wants you to be. Now, to be sure, parents don't always do their job perfectly. And frankly, some parents do it rather poorly. But in general, I think parents do a much better job than their, parent, their children are willing to give them the credit for. And uh, they have your best interest in mind. So the instruction for children is to obey and honor parents in the home. Now let's talk about parents. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. First, notice whom uh, the apostle addresses. He begins by saying, fathers. Now, this quite possibly is first century gender-inclusive language. A little hard for us to understand, but when a lot of times they said men or fathers, they meant mothers and fathers, parents, gender-inclusively. So this could be translated, parents, uh, do not exasperate your children. Uh, in the fourth command in the Old Testament, children were to honor both father and mother. And in the Bible, both mothers and fathers have responsibility for raising children. However, there was a Greek word for parents that Paul does not use here. And Paul's use of this word perhaps emphasizes also the primary role of the father in the instruction of children according to God's word. God entrusts fathers the primary responsibility for the discipline and education of children to the father in the home, particularly with regard to spiritual matters. And it's not the right thing, fathers in the home, to pawn it off onto somebody else and say, well, my wife's got the religion in the family, or to say, well, uh, my Sunday school teacher at church will teach them, or uh, depend on the prayers of grandma or grandpa for your kids. If uh, there is neglect or deficiency and there's a father in the home, then God will hold the dad accountable. Those in the ancient world took this seriously. Uh, children were primarily brought up uh, under the care of the mother until about age seven, at which the time the father got actively involved, particularly with the sons. And uh, the good parents did not make excuses like, well, I don't have time, or I've got to bring home the bacon, or I'm too busy at the office. Good fathers made time to raise and to educate their children. They understood that it was a very important responsibility of theirs, not only before God, but for the well-being of society as a whole. Now, fathers are warned, and mothers as well, do not exasperate your children. The New American Standard Bible has this, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, Parenting is not an easy job. That's 
pretty self-evident once you become a parent. Uh, for one thing, children keep changing. This is, you know, it's kind of unfair. Once you figure out how to parent a child at a particular stage, soon you go down, they morph into something else, a completely different creature, and you got to start all over again. Not only that, no child is the same as another child. They're all different. One size does not fit all. Furthermore, the landscape keeps changing. The world keeps changing. Situations are all different so that the world is not the same, mom or dad, now as it was when we were growing up. Things are always changing in a state of flux. And so, uh, you know, it's very difficult to lay down a cut and dried list of rules about how to do parenting right. It's rather a complicated issue. Nonetheless, I, I think we can say safely that the art of parenting involves avoiding uh, extremes on two sides. And the first extreme that we need to avoid is overindulging a child, or what, how do we call that? We say that is spoiling the child, yes. Uh, which is failing to provide the discipline and restraint that a child needs. Failing to give the child the ability to say no. First you say no for them, but you teach them how to say no and have the self-control to say no to evil things and say yes to good things. So that's the one extreme to avoid. But the other one is what Paul calls here exasperating children, frustrating them, aggravating them, breaking their hearts or breaking their spirit discouraging or disillusioning them. The art of parenting is learning how to bring up a child without falling into either of these ditches, hopefully, uh, which we try to avoid. Now, in this passage, Paul focuses on that one side of exasperating. Uh, parents must take care of the extreme of exasperating a child as they're bringing them up. How does a, how does a a parent exasperate a child or provoke them to anger. Well, there's many ways that this can be done. Um, let me just mention a few. To treat them harshly or discipline them, harshly or unfairly. Now, a discipline must be applied firmly, but if you are disciplined too harshly uh, or unfairly, then it will have some negative repercussions rather, rather than having the positive result that you want it to have. Making unreasonable demands. Uh, demanding the children do things that they're not capable of doing at the, the particular developmental level they are. Uh, being capricious or inconsistent in the exercise of parental authority. Uh, not being consistent that shows unfairness, and the child will never know what, what to do or when, when, when to do it. Uh, demeaning or humiliating a child, uh, constantly criticizing them as they're growing up, uh, displaying uncontrolled outbursts of anger yourself. If you want to provoke a child to anger, just show them how to do it. Be angry all the time, and they'll take right after your footsteps. Uh, neglect, abuse, or abandon a child or uh, subject a child to a hostile family environment over which they have no control. Constant turmoil, conflict, dysfunction, and these kinds of things. So Paul's warning is don't do these kinds of things. Don't exasperate your children. 
You know, uh, we've seen some examples of very angry children, young adults, even teenagers, getting a hold of firearms and going and killing large numbers of innocent people. What can account for a young person like that being so angry to the point of wanting to kill people? I don't know. You know, I, don't, I, I can't say in a given case, but, uh, you know, sometimes I have to believe that these young people are so angry from the family situation in which they grew up that they just take it out on everybody else. And uh, we have to be careful about that. Well, there are other places in the Bible that warn against the opposite extreme of spoiling a child by failing to provide the adequate discipline. Let me just mention one verse here. Verse, uh, a couple of verses from Hebrews. Those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. This is a pretty stern warning. If you do not discipline your child when they need it and keep them back from wrong and be with them on the ability to behave in a socially acceptable way and according to God's will, you don't love that child, it says. You're treating your child as if they're not your child at all. Now, if your neighbor's child messes up and does bad, you, you kind of look over and go, Wow, that guy's really messing up. But you don't go over there and try to discipline that child, uh, at least not very often, because it's not your child. It's their parents' responsibility. But if you don't discipline your child when they need discipline, then you're treating them as if they're not your child at all. You're not showing the love that they need. Now, we must be careful how we discipline, but we are to discipline, and the Lord disciplines us for our good. So, those are the two sides that we want to avoid. Now, uh, those are negative things. Paul has a positive thing to say. He says this, uh, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Parents are to train and instruct children in Christian living, in Christian truth. The home, to paraphrase this, the home is to be a school for Christian education. The home is to be a school. Now, in a sense, every home, no matter how you provide education for your children, every home is to be a home school. A home school for things of the Lord, to learn about Christ and what it means to behave as a Christian. The parents are teachers. Children are the students. Now, in America, we have free public education, and uh, this has been a good thing in many ways. There are many children who would not be able to afford an education if we didn't have this benefit and blessing. But as you know, uh, in recent years, our public schools have adopted some stances on moral and, moral and ethical issues that uh, are contrary to what we believe as Christians. So this has led some families, those who can afford to put their children in, in uh, Christian schools, that's a good alternative. Some have chosen to homeschool their 
children so they can bring them up in the nurturing and admonition of the Lord, and that's a good thing too. If you can do it, a lot of parents cannot do the homeschool thing or they don't, can't afford to put them in Christian schools, and so they will still have to utilize our public school system. But one piece of good news is that many studies have shown that a strong, healthy family still has a great power to influence children despite the fact that they may go to a hostile environment uh, morally for public education. If we keep our family relationship strong, and if parents do what God tells them to do in his word, which is to train and instruct children in the Lord, then we have a good chance of prevailing in their life and in their character. So, uh, let me list off some ways that parents can bring up children in the training and the instruction of the Lord. First of all, get close and stay close to God yourself, mom or dad. The saying is, more is caught than it is taught. That is, children learn by observation. If they see you following the Lord and behaving as a Christian, they're much more likely to follow that than if you're not. So um, people, uh, children will learn from what you do probably more powerfully than what you tell them to do. Be the kind of Christian your children want to grow up to be like. Second, work hard to maintain a strong marriage. Marriage relationship is the core of the family. So if children can split mom and dad up and get you in separate corners, they've already won the battle. And they'll do it in a minute just like that. So mom and dad have to work hard to stay together. It's, it's a tag team thing. So you've got to be on the same team or else you'll get buried. Uh, work hard to maintain a strong marriage. Third, attend church often and regularly. regularly. Make it a priority. And uh, parents, you will be much more successful in getting kids to come to church if you go to church. If you don't go to church, well, they'll probably follow your example and not go also as soon as they have the ability to choose. Make time for age-appropriate devotional activities at home. You know, back in the 1700s, you read about these guys who would leave their family in morning and evening devotions for half an hour. You wonder how they could get their kids to sit still for that long. I, I don't know. It's, it's a tough job. Uh, but I would encourage you to consider, if you have kids in your home, to try some kind of a devotional, age-appropriate devotional activity. And you have to get, at least to begin with, to the youngest child there. Uh, for at least once a week, you know, try to do something. We, we tried to do that, and we're successful sometimes and not so successful a lot of times, but uh, we provide some incentives and try to do some fun things. And I would encourage you to try to do that in, in the home. Try to keep it upbeat, interesting, and fun. Uh, my fifth suggestion here is eat together or have meals together. Protect the family dinner table. Uh, this is not just a Christian advice. You see this on billboards and things like that. Uh, if the family that eats together uh, will communicate and talk and relate to one another, they'll provide many opportunities to discuss daily life in view of the Christian truth. So work on that. Uh, you don't have to eat all meals together, but try to keep regular one meal. 
Include the Lord in your everyday conversation. Bring the Lord in. Bring Bible verses in. Talk uh, with uh, your children as if the Lord means something to your life. And capitalize on teachable moments when they come. Now this is in regard to the law of Moses. Here is the instruction. These words which I'm committing, commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and, and daughters and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. When you go through your daily life, bring the Lord in and talk to him about Talk to your children about the Lord as if He's real and as if He matters in your life. Seventh and last suggestion, just intentionally discuss important moral and ethical issues with children. Uh, children, particularly teenagers, don't want to talk about these emotional and um, difficult areas, but you've got to. So start early. Work with them. Talk about these difficult issues uh, that they're going to be facing. I sat down and talked to my, my kids about evolution, what's going to be coming uh, at them from the public school and some other alternatives from the Christian perspective. I didn't uh, address some of the other issues that I kind of wish I had now. Uh, uh, time kind of caught up with me, and I wasn't aware that uh, I needed to. So uh, sit down and talk about these issues uh, with your kids um, because if you don't talk about them with your kids, you can bet there's plenty of other people out there in the world and at school that are willing to give their opinion to your children and to try to influence them in a way that uh, you may not appreciate. So these are just some of the ways that parents can try to bring up their children in the training and the instruction of the Lord in a positive way. Let me just close this section by emphasizing the importance of the ministry of raising children. And I'm saying this against the backdrop of the fact that over the last 30 to 50 years or so, the occupation of raising children has, been, has gone downhill as far as our society is concerned. Today, stay-at-home parenting is very poorly esteemed in our society, and people try to get out of it as uh, much as they can. In fact, I talked to a, a lady out here in front in the parking lot. She had uh, three preschool children, and she was very happy because she'd just gotten uh, a full-time job. And uh, she was happy, well, because it was going to benefit her family economically, and that's true. Maybe she needed to do that. But she was more happy because she wouldn't have to stay home and take care of those kids anymore. She, it was hard work, and it's down there on this preschool level all the time. You know, it's tough. It's sacrificial. But she was just so glad to not have to do that anymore so she could go and do something that's important that adults do. And uh, this is the attitude that characterizes much of uh, adults' feeling about the occupation of raising children. But let's listen to what Jesus had to say about the importance of children and the raising of children. Oops, I forgot the last point there. Well, there it is. Uh, one time when uh, Jesus, some parents wanted to bring their kids to Jesus, little children, let him bless them. The disciples said, yeah, go ahead. You know, this is important adult stuff, right? We're dealing with here. And Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. And he gathered them to him and 
put his hands on them and he blessed them. And then even more uh, pointedly, Matthew chapter 18, he says, unless you're converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Receives, comforts, takes care of, provides for. We could say even nurtures or raises or, or raises the child. Whoever receives such a child receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. That is a stern warning about how we are to how valuable, how much important, how important it is for us to raise our children carefully. Children are precious in God's economy. Raising children is a holy and high, highly esteemed calling according to God's words that we dare not neglect. It's not something we should take lightly or pass off as a second class vocation. If we truly valued our children, we would see that they had the very best child learning experience that we could provide, which I have to say in most cases, I think is doing it yourself, frankly, in my opinion. I mean, is there anybody else in this world that loves your children more than you? I don't know. Now, I know it's not always possible, and you know, if you're a single mom and you've got to provide and you've got to do everything, then you do the best you can and thank God for grandparents and friends and others that we can call on to provide to fill in the gaps. But uh, we, we, we need not to take this ministry of raising children lightly or neglect it or think poorly of it. The instruction here to summarize is fathers, do not, fathers, parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. All right, so let's uh, summarize here. In the Christian home, parents are to bring children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Children are to obey and honor their parents. My main point, so I would summarize it, is this. The home is to be a workshop for Christian disciple-making. That is, it's always a work in progress. You're, you're, you're bringing these children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and bringing them to the point where they can follow Jesus to the full degree that Christ wants them to. In our home years ago, we made a poster and we hung it up. You can see it there. Uh, I look at it every once in a while. But it says uh, the mission or the purpose of our home is to create a family or to create a home in which uh, each person can grow to become all that God wants them to be. And that's what I believe God's will is for our families. Now, just to bring this back to the church, the church is the household of God. 
So as the home is an educational entity, so is the church. In fact, you'll see this in the Great Commission, right? Go therefore and do what? Make disciples who are learners, apprentices of all, uh, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and doing what? Teaching them, sorry. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So the, the church is an educational entity, just like the home. As in the home, the church, in the church, the mature are to teach the immature. The experienced are to teach the inexperienced. The Christian parents, so to speak, are to teach the Christian newborn and young people. Now, in the church, they're not always children, right? Sometimes we have baby Christians who are adults, maybe even senior adults. But this whole idea of those who are mature, teaching the young and bringing them up in the Lord, is to be replicated here in the church. The whole purpose is to faithfully pass along the gospel from one generation on to the next. And I'm hoping that you'll get this vision of the church, the church as this uh, institution where the gospel is faithfully being passed on and people are growing up in the Lord to the fullness of maturity, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter, chapter 16. This is the vision of the church that we need to get. And I hope that we can attain. So I want to challenge you to join me in committing to make both your home and our church a place where people are growing from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity in the Lord. Commit yourselves to this goal and this vision so that we may be formed in the image of Christ to the glory of God. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for uh, your instruction and your challenge to us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit and for your word and for your patience in helping us to grow up into you. Father, you've helped each one of us to grow, so help us to learn how to pass on what you have so patiently taught us to others, to make our homes and our church a place where you're exalted and where we're all growing into the fullness of the, our head, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that we may grow in this uh, aspect here at 11th Street Baptist Church in the days and the years ahead. In Jesus' name. Amen.